Welcome to the sag After Foundation's Conversations podcast. The sag After Foundation believes that contributions made to our culture by performing arts are not only valuable, but also essential. And so we provide free programming and services like this podcast to support them. If you'd like to learn more about the sag After Foundation or access the full library of our conversations or make a donation to support this podcast, please visit sagaftra.foundation. That's www.sagaftra.foundation. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SagAfterFound. Thanks, and enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the Foundation's Conversation at Home program. I'm Gil Robertson, president of the African-American Film Critics Association. Before we speak to our guests today, I want to let you know that the Foundation has set up a COVID relief fund in order to support thousands of union performers who are going through tough times. Since March, thanks to your donations, the Foundation has given over $6.2 million in emergency uh, aid to more than uh, 6,600 performers and their families. If you are a SAG member and need help, please ask. And if you can help, please give. Information can be found in the description of this video. Thank you for your support. Now, without further ado, it's my pleasure to introduce Glenn Terman. You know, you've been doing this for so long. Um, um, I mean, what was it that, uh, that inspired you, uh, that got you on your start as a, as a, as a kid? Uh, what made you want to become an actor? As a kid, I didn't want to become an actor. You know? As a kid, I wanted to be Jackie Robinson. But as a kid, an athlete. Yeah. So as a kid, I didn't. I didn't want to be. I wanted to be a, a ball player. You know. I think I might have told you that Rain Hansberry and my mother were were friends, and so that uh, we lived in that in the same neighborhood, and she. Uh, informed my mother that there was a play that she had written and that there was a part for a little boy. But, and I ended up getting that role after an audition. But that's not what I, I wanted to do. I wasn't inspired to be a, an actor until I ended up, as a result of talking to a, a, a what do you call it, coach, what do you call that? Who's that teacher that, that tells you that you talk to to say where do you want to go and what do you want to be in your life and so on. A counselor. The counselor, to the, to the counselor. Our, our school counselor said, uh, well, Glenn, why don't you try out for the high school of performing arts? And I finally took his advice on that and, took, and passed the test, the audition, and made it into that school and got an A in, in, in my class. And that was the first time I'd ever got an A. And that's when I decided, you know what, maybe I'm all right at this and maybe I'll try and become an actor. And because it was the first time I'd ever gotten an A, I showed my mother the A. I said, Ma, look at this, I, I, I got an A in, in, in school. And she said, I've been trying to tell you, you know. So <laughs> it's, uh, that's, that's what happened. So then you just had a natural ability. I, I reckon so. I mean, I wonder what type of influence, though, I mean, working on Broadway at that time, you know, and surrounded by so many uh, soon-to-be great, you know, uh, talents like, you know, Sidney Poitier, Ruby Dee. Mm -hmm. I mean, the list just literally goes on and on. 
Um, what was that like for you? How did that, what type of impression did that make on you at such a young age? Well, it made a great impression on me. I mean, they were all great people and, and I had a great time and this was something out of the norm. It was something I never could have dreamed of was going to happen. You know, I got to meet everybody and heroes in my household, the black household, they were already here. You know, Sammy Davis Jr. would come backstage, or, you know, Pearl Bailey or, you know, uh, Harry Belafonte would come backstage, you know, and, and I knew who all these people were because of the, they were the heroes in our household. We had their records, we had their album covers, I knew, you know, and playing on stage was just fun for me. It was just, you know, a gas going out there and just doing what I would do in the living room at, at the parties that my folks would throw anyway. They'd always say, man, come out here and do something. You and Sandra, my cousin, come on out here and dance, or come on out here and do something, or go ahead and say that thing you said on such and such and such, and I'd come out in the living room. Well, that, now all I was doing was doing that same thing for this big space, the theater, and all these hundreds of people sitting out there in the audience. I was just doing the same thing I always did, you know, in the household just showing off, you know? <laughs> and, uh, so it, it was no big thing. The great thing was I could get paid for doing it and, and help my mother out with, with, we were not in the best of shape at the time, you know, prior to that. And uh, so that helped out and that would made it great. And got to travel, got to go to Chicago, got to go to Philadelphia, you know, New Haven uh, and, and spend time on the train uh, touring, the, touring the piece, you know? So, that was all great, but it was just great fun and something to do. And I really, you know, was more interested in getting back to a baseball game. You know, it was Saturday, you know, and I had to do these two shows on Saturday. I, I was going to miss the game, you know. So I stayed with it for a year and then I quit. Wow. So it really was just recreation for you. Yeah. No, it was. It was. It wasn't until that teacher recommended that I, because I was going to drop out of school. I knew I was going to drop out of, out of junior high. It was time to go to high school. I was a truant. I was a chronic truant. I was starting to get in all kinds of trouble, you know, and, you know, at that age. And, and so, and I, I, I hated school. And I knew if I went to my neighborhood school, the, the, the neighborhood high school with the rest of the guys, it was not going to end well, you know, uh, and so I get to performing arts and it was a whole different world for me. So, I mean, what did that do for your self-esteem and your, uh, your discipline as a young man going to the high school of performing arts? Oh man, kidding. I graduated at the top of the class. You know, I had, I, I never played a, another day of hooky. You know, I met great teachers, Renette Carroll and, and, you know, Rosalind Shine and Michael Howard. These were all fantastic teachers who encouraged me, encouraged me. It was vital. It was very important because my mother died while I was, that, that next year while I was in high school. And these people were very nourishing. And I had made a promise to her that I would stay in school. And I did, you know, and uh, went the next year and uh, graduated at the top of the class. So now what was the next step of your career? Because, of course, I remember you. Uh, when I first became aware of you, uh, it was through Cooley High. But what happened after high school? And talk about those initial steps into adult life. Oh, well, it was, it was you know, I was married very young, 18 years old, 
had a family, beating around New York, trying to, uh, trying to feed this family, trying to start a career as an actor, because now I was taking it seriously and this is, had made up my mind, this is what I want to do. And of course, as soon as I made up my mind that I want to be an actor, of course, another job never came. You know, <laughs> after raising, after raising, I had every job that was ever out there for a teenager. I mean, I had job after job after job. I worked with some of the, some, some more of the greats, you know, and uh, in all these different productions, a lot of live theater, a lot of live television, you know, in those days, you know, Playhouse 90 and David Susskind and, you know, we do different, different uh, plays. I was in all of these things. I worked with Robert Redford on on something, and and, uh, and Jimmy Kahn. I just saw Jimmy Kahn not too long ago, and brought up this, and hadn't seen him since I was a kid, and brought up this production that we did together, and he remembered it, you know. And this is black and white television, you know. So I had done all of these things, but they were flukes. They come to me because I had been on in a raising the sun and been on Broadway and. They'd say, get that kid that was on, that's on Broadway with Sidney Poitier, you know? And I, oh, what do they want now, you know? <laughs> but as soon as I committed, as soon as I said, this is the life for me, nothing. Now I'm going, I'm hustling, I got a kid, I got a, my wife, I got an apartment that I've got to keep and keep up and rent and light gas bills and gas bills and everything and all this stuff. And I'm going through the snow in New York hustling, trying to find a daggone gig and trying to find a job to, feed, to, to sustain us through this whole thing. So there I am on the actor's track, you know what I'm saying? So now what got you out of that rough patch? Well, I had a job that I was driving a truck. I was a truck driver. And uh, had, the thing that was good about this job is I, it gave me enough leeway. The, the boss was very lenient. And if I had an audition, I could go to the audition and he wouldn't fire me. I got fired from every other job that I had because I'd go for auditions. You know, If an audition came in the middle of the day, I'd break and go for it. That's the risk you had to take. But this guy, he... He was cool, you know, but I was driving Gil seriously with a, a truckload. I was a furniture furniture mover, and I had a truckload of furniture and a crew of three other guys in the cab. And uh, I was reading. I, I was a driver, but I was reading uh, backstage for auditions, you know. And I pulled up to a light and continued my reading. And Lloyd Richards. Who, was, who had directed me in A Raisin in the Sun was casting for a play at a theater. And I saw this in the paper. And it was that, I said, when it was that exactly at that exact time that I was reading it on, on, in the truck on 8th Avenue. And I turned the whole truck around with the furniture and everything in it. This lady's furniture. I was supposed to be going to Queens or something where. And I turned this entire moving truck around and made a beeline to that theater. And the guys were cussing me out and everything. Terman, what the hell are you doing? What are you doing? And I was like, don't worry about it. We'll make it. We'll get there in time. We'll get there. And I took the key out, pulled up in front of the Clements, Clements Church on 40. 7th Street, 48th Street. And dad ran inside. 
and ran in front of Roger Robinson was, was there for the audition also. And I asked Roger, I said, Roger, I gotta go ahead of you, man. And I went up and I auditioned for Lloyd Richards at that time and got the part again for, for Lloyd Richards. And uh, I, I never went back to act to uh, other jobs. Well, you said so you were going to be an actor or just do not that, baby. Do it. Yeah, die. that's what it sounds like. And so then after that, I mean, obviously acting, you know, uh, took a hold of you and you went on to, uh, you know, do television. And obviously well, I, I went on, I did a lot of regional theater. I worked for Tyrone Guthrie at the Tyrone Guthrie Theater in Minneapolis. I worked uh uh, at different theaters. I worked at the Actors Studio for uh, um, uh, Mr. Strasberg. And uh, then I, uh, I, an acting teacher of mine, Manette Carroll, who was my senior year acting teacher in performing arts high school. Uh, I got a call from her and she was in California and she wanted me to come to California and be her, do uh, slow Dance on the Killing Ground, the play called Slow Dance on the Killing Ground that had been done on Broadway, and she wanted me to do the West Coast version of it. And she flew me out to the, the company, Inner City Repertoire uh, Theater, through, flew me out to California. I was supposed to be there for six, six uh, months, and I've been there ever since. Yeah, still I left. It's 50 years. Wow. Now, is that the same inner city that used to be on like Vermont and Pico? Exact same one. Yep. I remember going you know to that it one? as a kid. Yeah, you know that? Yep. Yeah. Certainly do. So, I mean, so you're out in L.A. Uh, doesn't sound like you had a lot of family or, or friends uh, in California. I mean, how did you make your way in those early days? Well, I, I, I you know, I, I, I did what you do, you know, I, I brought my, my, I went ahead of my, my young family. They stayed in New York. Um, yeah. And I came out and broke into, th broke into it. What happened was I got, I ended up on Peyton Place. What, how that happened was Gregory Peck came down and saw the play that I was doing at the inner city on Pico in Vermont. He came backstage and introduced himself. And I said, oh my God, this is Gregory Peck. <laughs> and, uh, he went and told some producers at 20th Century Fox about this kid he saw, this black kid he saw in this play, and they were looking for a black kid. And uh, it was Edward Chambers and Paul Monash were the producers of Peyton Place. They came down to Inner City, saw me at Inner City, and hired me for Peyton Place, and brought in Ruby D and Percy Rodriguez and Judy Pace. And we became the black family on Peyton Place. And uh, the rest is history. So that show really did change your life. That show changed my life. I stayed in California as a result of having the means to do that from that show. I brought my family back out and uh, there we were. So you were really a grown man in Cooley High. I mean, in the... <laughs> I was, yeah, I was. I was 21. I was over. I was about 20, 20 something years old. Yeah, because I turned 21 in um, Peyton, I turned 21 in California when I went out to do Peyton uh, Cooley High. 
And that show, I mean, certainly in our community, was definitely a hit. Uh, are you surprised uh, by its influence and the fact that it still uh, resonates with so many people? I mean, f- nearly 50 years later. Cooley High? Yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised. I, you know, no one ever thought that that's what was going to happen. You know, I don't think. Uh, but I'm, I'm surprised on one hand and on the other hand, I'm not because it was so different and it was so, uh, it, 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 it cast us in such a great light, you know. You have to remember that the, most of the movies that were coming out at that same time, they're called exploitation movies, but they were all, what it was is they were all of the same kind of theme, the same kind of story, you know. They were all hustlers and gangsters and shooting and killing and nigga this and that, you know, this, that, and the other. And that was something that we were trying to get away from and trying to get some variety of story. But in the negative light, Cooley High comes along. And uh, it's a different story and it's promoted differently and the whole theme is different. And everybody was proud of the fact that we were able to share our experiences as a, as a people with the rest of the world and, 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 and show that we had innocence. We had, you know, we were not born gangsters, <laughs> you know, that, you know, that uh, we went to school and we had school experiences, we had girlfriends and so on and so forth, and mothers and fathers that worked hard to try to, to do better for us. And so Cooley High became that beacon that we held up to the world to say, this is who we are. So, I mean, obviously you had a strong uh, sense of self-identity, but what was it like uh, as a, a young Black actor with a young family uh, working uh, in an environment where uh, uh, it seemed like they wanted to keep, uh, you know, Black actors, Black stories in, in little boxes? Well, it was tough. It was very tough, you know. It, it's no, it was no, I tell you, it was no component for success to have, to raise a family successfully, you know. Uh, it, it, it took its toll. Uh, and... Um, you know, being married too young takes its toll anyway, usually. But with the compounded problems of uh, trying to have an acting career and overcoming the, the obstacles that that affords made it pretty damn near impossible. And, uh, but, you know, at the same time, it's how bad do you want what you want, you know? And um, how good are you? To, how long can you tread water? You know, that's that's what it boils down to. How long can you tread water? And I was able to tread water. And every once in a while, I would I get something that could sustain us and go to the next the next level. And then, of course, um, you were involved in a very high profile marriage uh, to the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin, and mm-hmm. very much became one of Hollywood's it couples. What was that like? Well, when it was great, it was... The cover of Ebony and Jet. Yeah, yeah, no, it was wonderful. You know, uh, Rita was a wonderful, 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 wonderful person. You know, we cared for each other very much right to the very end, you know. Uh, I was there the day before she died. I was at her bedside. And, uh, but our meeting was was a, a, a meeting that was a storybook meeting, you know. And uh, I don't you know, I... 
I, uh, she was performing at a, uh, co a concert that was being given for Jacqueline, Jacqueline Onassis, as a matter of fact. And uh, she and a friend of mine, Ben Vereen, were on the bill. And I was there with Ben because we went to the same high school together. And uh, so while backstage waiting for Ben to prepare to go on, uh, I was in the halls and this young man was spotted me and he said, oh, Glenn Terman. He said, Glenn Terman, my, my mother just loves you. I said, oh, great. I said, who's your mother, kid? And he said, Aretha Franklin. I said, whoa. I said, where is she? And he took me to her dressing room and she was standing in front of the mirror, Gil, in a white sparkling dress. You know, the big mirrors with the, the movie star mirrors, you know, with the lights all around. And all that white was glittering, sparkling off her. And she looked in the mirror and saw a reflection of me behind her in the doorway. And she screamed, you know, and like, I, so I screamed, you know, <laughs> it was like, we was, <laughs> you know, and uh, so we just, we hit it off right away, and uh, and she came to, the, I was teaching acting at, at the Inner City Cultural Center, I was teaching down there at that time, and she was, had just moved to California and was looking for a place to study acting, she said, and so I told her where I was teaching, and she showed up at inner city and uh, the, the people in the class went crazy because this, 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 this limousine had pulled up on Pico, you know, Pico was the, that's, that's the hood, you know, that's, <laughs> you know, that was the hood on Pico and Vermont. So we weren't, used, we, weren't used, we weren't used to seeing the limos pull up, but she pulled up and everybody was very excited and she walked in the class and, you know, I, I told her she was late. And so, and we hit it off, and soon we were dating and later married. Now, your career, uh, you've always, it seems to me, have mixed things up between theater, directing, uh, and acting in, you know, TV, uh, on stage. That's my, that's my secret. I, I, try, I try to spread it around, make it look like a big act, you know? So do you feel like that, that so that has extended your uh I would imagine your uh your curiosities about this art form about your craft. Because well, it's, it extended my it extended my longevity, I think. You know, I was I the 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 thing was that I was always working at my craft. I would consider myself a working actor. I wasn't I wasn't out there to be a movie star. I wasn't trying to become a movie star or, or a personality. You know, I was trying to become the best actor that I could become, you know. So my seriousness was about perfecting the craft. Once I realized after all of that backstory that there was a craft to this, you know, and that there was a technique and there were these things that you could do to become better, that became my focus. And anything that served that, is what I was drawn to. And so I guess uh, in a lot of ways, one sort of fed the other, you know, the directing, the teaching, mm -hmm. all yes. served to give you a better understanding, a better command over your gifts uh, as an actor. You're right. uh, do you have a favorite? Stage, I'm still drawn to stage. Why do you think that is? Because 
you're flying without a net. You know? no, no second takes. No second takes, baby. Get it right or, or pay the consequence, you know? Are you surprised by, I mean, I look at the number of hit shows from Peyton Place to uh, A Different World to The Wire to House of Lies. I mean, that you've been a part of so many people's, uh, ex you know, you've been in their homes for, for decades and you have been, I mean, the thing about TV is that it, um, you know, it comes into your home and these characters become like extended members of your family. Right. And you've been in quite a few of them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how does that make you feel? Well, for, for a long time. <laughs> to know that you've had, uh, uh, that you've earned that type of uh, affection from people. I mean, when people mention you, you know, they say, they mention your name with affection. Um, I'm, I just wonder as, a, as an act, both as a, a person and as an actor, how does it make you feel to know that you have, uh, have uh, impacted people in such a way? Well, it's, 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 it makes me feel great, you know, really, really, uh, really blessed, you know. I, uh, I never, I told you how I started. I, 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 I never would have thought anything like this, you know. I never would have thought that I'd still be doing this, uh, acting. I never thought that I would be in people's homes and, and the, you know, the world would know me that I could go places and everybody would know me, you know? So I, I, because I didn't set out with that in mind at all. Now talk about the, talk about Star Wars and uh, the opportunity to play, or at least audition uh, for Han Solo. It was, a, I, I don't even remember it. I don't even remember the audition. I barely, let's put it this, I barely remember it. I barely remember growing up for the role. It wasn't until a friend of mine who read George Lucas's book let me know that George Lucas was, had been thinking of me for the role of Han Solo, that I had auditioned and he was going to hire me, but then didn't want to get into the, to the uh, racial uh, uh, whatever that could, could maybe derail what he was trying to do because there was going to be a, a romance between Princess Leia and uh, Han Solo, you know. So, so not even in outer space. No, yeah, right. <laughs> not, not, even, not even out of this world, Gil. Not even in another world. As a Black actor, how have things gotten different through, through uh, the decades of your career, you know, from the 70s uh, on to present? Well... I'm just glad to see that some of the struggles that we were uh, going through and, and some of the uh, issues that we were tackling have, uh, some of them have come, come around and we've made great gains. I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of the, of the, the young black actors and, uh, well, not so much the actors, but what we were looking for were the entrepreneurs, the businessmen, the, uh, the, the money people, the showrunners, the producers, the directors, the people behind the camera uh, are doing their thing, you know, and we're the writers who are telling our stories, you know, and we are producing our stories. That's what we were, you know, all, all the 
all the, all the fuss was about back in the day, you know. And uh, that's happening now. And um, it's very, very important that we keep our, our rudder uh, in that direction and keep our shoulder to the wheel. Now, this year has been, I mean, an amazing year. I mean, starting with, um, with Fargo, uh, yeah. season four of Fargo. Uh, yeah. I mean, your character uh, really did anchor this past season. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what brought you into that role? Oh, my managers told me that they had requested me and it Talking with Noah Farley, uh, Harley later, he said, you know, that he wanted me for that role, you know. And uh, so, and I was glad that he did, you know. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, it was just, uh, yeah, it was, it was the reason I watched it. Oh. You know, when, when the character died, I was like, uh, I mean, I kept <laughs> staying with it, but, I mean, your character really did drive, uh uh, season four. Uh, thank you, Gil. That, that's kind of you to say it. It was a great character, great, you know, it was all on the page, and I had a ball doing it. I mean, I really had a good time doing him. Doing you know, it leads me to talk about preparation because you played so many different types of people. I mean, what is your process in getting connected with a role, getting to understand it? Well, it's different things. And for, for, for Dr. Senator, it was the hat, you know. When I put that hat on in um, in the, the wardrobe department, I knew I had locked into the character. I knew exactly who he was as soon as I found that hat and I put that hat on. I said, "Oh, this is the guy. This is him." And that, because I was able to go back to my to the barber shops, you know, in Harlem when I was a kid, sitting there watching the hustlers and the players come in, you know, and you know, waiting for them to get their hair cut or their shoes shine, you know, and hearing that that conversation there, you know, I had a couple of uncles who were in that game, you know, and so whose hats I used to take, you know, when they when they'd come in, put that hat on down, you know, the first thing I'd do is pick up that hat and put it on and flop all over my head. So I know these, I knew these men, you know, I knew who he was. I didn't have to, to look hard at all, you know, and. Uh, I mean, Sometimes. but he was more than a hustler. He was a boss. Yeah, well, he was a boss. Yeah, he was a boss. He was a he was a he was a strong guy. Not only was he a boss, but he was a he was a lawyer. You know, he was a learned, educated man. And you know, so then I had to find out what was it that made him tick. And it was right there on the page. You Noah know, wrote a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful monologue about him uh, being taking the defense. A prosecution for a, a war a war criminal, you know, a Nazi war criminal, and how he was used in that that uh, that trial just to humiliate the war criminal. But they never expected really any serious uh, any serious uh, uh, consequence, you know. But and uh, so that that affected his his outlook on who he was in the world, in spite of his wonderful education, you know. And uh, so he, he had issues that made him a pretty, pretty rough character. He was a rough boy. And then, of course, you know, playing Toledo in August Wilson's uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, uh, which mm -hmm. has uh, a lot of people talking uh, awards for you this season. 
Um, talk to me about how you uh, became attached to that project. Well, that was when uh, I had done the, the stage play in Los Angeles about a year and a half earlier. And Denzel Washington had come down to the theater to see that production that we'd done and came backstage. Uh, and, uh, you know, everybody was just elated to see him and that he had seen the play. And he, and he came over and you know, we've known each other for years, but he came over and said, you know, hey, Glenn, stay ready. Uh, I, I'm going to do all of August's plays and I want you to recreate this role in the movie that I'm going to do soon. So stay, stay ready, Glenn. Stay ready. So, now, why do you think he picked you? What is it about you that made him believe, know, that you would be able to embody that, uh, that dude the way you did? Well, I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to sound... I don't know. All I know is I'm glad he did. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about the filming. I mean, you had, I mean, George C. Wolf, Denzel Washington, mm -hmm. uh, you who are on, you know, uh, working with, you know, Michael Potts, uh, Coleman, mm -hmm. and Chadwick, uh, and not, you know, Viola Davis. I mean, what was it like, you know, filming that project? It couldn't, it, it doesn't get any better. It just, it, again, it doesn't get any better than that. I mean, you know, that's the, the creme to the creme, you know? And uh, I was just glad to be a part of that whole experience, you know? We shot it in Pittsburgh, you know? Uh, all of the, everything was right, you know? Everything was right. Uh, I'm familiar with Pittsburgh. I've got family in Pittsburgh, so I had a good time, able to spend time with family in, in Pittsburgh while we were filming. And uh, so it was all, it was all just right on, right on point. I mean, and it's certainly one of uh, Mr. Wilson's uh, more enduring projects. What do you think it is about his work and this particular uh, piece in particular uh, that have allowed it to just resonate so with, uh, with so many different people, so many different communities? It was about, uh, it's, it's so about hopes and dreams, you know, expectations. You know, and everybody can relate to expectations, especially we as a black people can relate to hopes and dreams and the expectations that if we do this and we do that and we cross our T's and dot our I's, you know, the wall will come down and we'll be able to move forward, you know. And then, as you can see, uh, there's a great scene in there where Levy breaks through a door uh, in the movie, crashes into what he he thought that that would be an exit to someplace else. And what he ran into was another brick wall, you know, just uh, that there was no escape, that there was no, no place to go. And um, those kinds of things happen too often. You know, we find ourselves uh, all of a sudden in a, in a space that uh, shouldn't have been there, you know, that should have been a step up. And all of a sudden we're back where we started you know, and we can see it happening right now in the country, you know, the way we have to fight again. It's the same fight. It's the same battle. And uh, so August understands that and he lays it out where we can all understand and all relate to it. And that's why.
you know, and of course it also marks uh, Chadwick Boseman's final performance uh, in a motion picture. Um, was there any awareness on the set that he, um, you know, wasn't operating at his, well, he certainly was operating at his. Oh, best, he was operating, he was operating at full speed, baby. Just that he was dealing with some issues. Yeah, no, there was no indication at all. And because he was, that last scene that we shot, you know, was, we must have done 20 takes on that, that scene where, where he does me in. And that was a physical scene, very physical. Uh, we tussled, we tussled, and you know, we had to do it as a close-up, we had to do it as a master, we had to do it as a two-shot, camera angle, dip down. And all he would say is, I need one more take, one more, one more take. And I was like, holy moly, you know, who is this guy? You know, I, I need a breath. You know, of course I'm an old man now, but shit. <laughs> I, need, I need to sit up. And uh, I just, he was just amazing. His stamina and, and his dedication to getting it right. You know, so no, he was, he was, he was, he operated on all cylinders through that whole piece, but he was sick the entire time. Amazing. And we lost someone else, obviously. We lost a lot of people, but obviously we most recently lost, um, uh, Ward. Huh? We lost Douglas Turner Ward just yesterday. Okay. Okay. Tell me about him. Douglas Turner Ward, along with Robert Hooks. Uh, two men who I came to meet in doing a Raisin in the Sun as a 12-year-old on Broadway. Douglas Turner Ward was one of the characters in the play, actually, and he understudied Sidney Poitier. And he later went on to create, along with Robert Hooks, the Negro Ensemble Theater Company. Uh, you know the Negro Ensemble Company is one of the most prolific theater companies in the country. Uh, and many plays and, and movies came out of the plays that came out of Negro Ensemble Theater Company. Cicely Tyson was a member of the Negro Ensemble Company. Uh, Hattie Winston and Hattie Winston, a Negro, a, a part of the Negro Latanya Ensemble. Latanya and Sam. Latanya and Sam, you know. So the creator and the founder of that was Douglas Turner Ward. At least he not be forgotten. God rest his soul. Well, thank you for sharing that. I, I'm uh, ashamed to admit I didn't know. Yeah, just just, just the other day, yesterday. You know. Who were you going to ask? You were going to ask me something. Well, I was going to I was going to pivot towards Miss Tyson and mm -hmm. ask about your thoughts about. Uh, I mean, obviously she was 96, so it certainly was nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a great life. But what were yeah. your thoughts about her career? Oh, we we uh, I, I I put on her. Uh, on my Twitter about her, I said, I'm so humbled and proud that she knew me. That is not who you know, it's who knows you, you know? And uh, she knew me and that makes me so humble. You know, she knew me from a kid. She knew, uh, uh, we worked together. She played my mother in one one piece, uh, River Niger. She played my lover in another, uh, the, uh, uh, Desire under the elms, you know, uh, and we were, and I, she knew me enough to call me friend, and I just, uh, I'll never forget that, and I'm so humbled by that point. I mean, with such a long career, has there been two things? Has there been one particular role that 
that you just that just did it for you? And also, has there been a particular window of time where you just were in the zone, just hit your stride and was just felt like magic? Well, Gil, I feel pretty good right now. Well, you should. You know, <laughs> I feel pretty good right now. Uh, you know, they say a lean dog runs a long race. Uh, <laughs> I feel I feel all right. So I'm not complaining, you know. Uh, 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 and um, as far as any one thing that ever did it, you know, I don't think it's been any one show. You know, there have been different shows that I've been connected to that have spoken well for me. And uh, 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 of course, Cooley High is one of my favorites, you know, and I, I think it put me on the map more than any other other shows or before any of the other shows kind of put me on the national map, kind of like a folk hero kind of thing. And, uh, and also a different world. I mean, you know, uh, for my generation, that was like. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Different world as well, you know. So, you know, I, I don't know that I've ever been a movie star or ever, but I, I, I kind of feel like a folk hero because everybody kind of sees me as their brother or their sister or their daddy or their, or there's, you know, somebody in the family that they relate to. You remind me of my so-and-so. You remind me of my such-and-such. You're just like my uncle so-and-so. You just like, you know, so that means your family. And uh, that's, that's kind of even better than being a movie star in a way. So is that something that you, I mean, were you ever interested in that or were you only interested in, in just studying and perfecting the craft? I was only studying and studying stay in the crib, but my grandkids are telling me, Glenn, will you stop saying, uh, granddad, will you stop saying that? You're a star for crying out loud, granddad. Stop saying you're just an actor, you know, so. Whatever. Now, what can you tell me about this current role you're playing? You're playing uh, a relative mm -hmm. of Emmett Till's. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is a very powerful piece here. It's called Women of the Movement, ABC. It's produced by Jay-Z and Will Smith. They teamed up together. And uh, it's about the Emmett Till story, told from Mamie Till's point of view, Mamie Till, Emmett Till's mother, who wouldn't rest until she, her son uh, received some sort of justice. You know, she's the one who demanded that the casket be remain open. Uh, even though his grotesque body lay in it, you know. And as a result of that action started the civil rights movement, uh, called attention to it around the world uh, and called attention to Jim Crow and the injustices. So we've got a fantastic cast and a fantastic uh, uh, group of people who are behind this. I mean, does it surprise you that so many social justice issues are still, um, you know, very much uh, top of mind and uh, uh, front page news uh, for uh, Black people and other communities in this country? Does it surprise me? No, it doesn't surprise me. It saddens me. But it doesn't surprise me. I know where I am. But yet you've continued to operate, you continue to move forward, and you've continued to succeed. 
Um, I mean, what what advice do you, would you offer to younger people, you know, coming up, um, not necessarily an actor, but just other Black men who are trying to navigate the experience of being a Black man in America? You ever heard of the Buffalo Soldiers? Of course. Well, I'm a member of one of their offshoot organizations. Fortunate enough to do a movie, Buffalo Soldiers, with Danny Glover and a bunch of uh, wonderful actors. I remember and, it. And one of the one of the slogans of the Ninth Cavalry is "Ready, forward," and that's my motto. Forward, ready, forward. No steps back. Forward, and that's what I do. I go forward. What do you want people to say about your legacy? Say he was a winner. Now I know that away from acting, you spend a lot of time out on your your ranch, which um, uh, from what I hear is very lovely. Uh, what is it like out there? How do you? Uh, uh, what do you do there? Uh, how does it? Uh, how does it? Um, um, charge you up to come back out into uh, the world and, 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 and climb those mountains? Well, well, there's a show coming on tonight, as a matter of fact, on OWN. Uh, it's, called, um, it's called They Call Me Dad. Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and they did a segment. I'm part of the segment that comes on tonight. So you'll be able to see the show. If you watch it tonight, you'll be able to see the ranch and kind of what me and the family do out there on the on the ranch, but it's forty. It's uh, it's it's uh, a ranch that um, we've had for over forty years now um, that we built. And um, is it a working of, ranch or? Yeah, it's a working ranch. We have horses and uh, sometimes cattle. And um, I rodeo. I rodeo professionally for thirty something years, and spend a lot of time with the Bill Pickett Rodeo, which was. A, uh, a black rodeo invitation rodeo that tours the country. I think you've heard of that one too, Gil, haven't you? And uh, so, uh, as a uh, as a part of being a part of that organization, uh, we do something called Camp Giddy Up, and Camp Giddy Up is a uh, a free Western style summer camp that we put on at our ranch. The ranch is called the Nine Winds Ranch. And um, we put that on uh, this camp as a result of a promise that I made to Mrs. Coretta Scott King uh, when she invited my wife and I to a conference that she was having, uh, a peace conference, uh, right after the Rodney King uprising, uh, when we uh, she brought people there to try and figure out what could be done to ease the tensions and to offer some relief to the uh, people of Compton and the neighboring area. And uh, I promised her that I would start a summer camp at, at our ranch and bring kids there. And um, that was in 92, summer of 92. And uh, we've been doing that. Well, we don't bring the kids 
out as much as we used to, but we sponsor kids still. Uh, but for 20 something years now, 26, 27 years now, we've been doing uh, summer camp for kids out at our 20 acre ranch uh, in um, uh, Northern LA, the outskirts of North Los Angeles County. Wow. Um, do you think you'll ever retire? I keep trying, but they won't let me. <laughs> they, they, they won't, my wife won't let me retire from Camp Gideon. Anytime she hears anything about some kids or organization that could use, could use a, a summer away from the city, she does it. And there we are again, you know, and uh, we've gone so far as South Africa to bring kids out. So she won't let me retire on that end. And, and the business still is calling me to do these roles. So here I am. I, maybe I can get a, a sitcom next so I don't have to cry my heart out on these other uh, heartbreaking roles. But uh, they're great roles. I'm not complaining. No, God, I, I'm not complaining. <laughs> so, <laughs> but... Uh, Retire? I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm still here. I'm still going. We'll see. Sir, it's been an honor and a privilege. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Gil. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right, buddy. Thank you for listening to the SAG After Foundation's Conversations podcast. If you appreciated what you heard, please support us with a review or donation and reach out to us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SAG After Found. We'd love to hear from you.